if you have 100 followers on Instagram, how much can you expect to make? If you have 100 followers on TikTok, how does that compare? And what they found was that the one and only Brock Johnson. Brock Johnson, who's an Instagram expert. 25-year-old, seven-figure entrepreneur. One of the top Instagram influencers of 2022. That's one of the traps that creators fall into is thinking the social media will pay me, YouTube will pay me, Instagram will pay me. So I may be making a hundred or two hundred dollars off of 150 pieces of content and a couple million views every month. On Instagram, the value of an individual follower is significantly higher. You're more likely to make more money from selling things to your Instagram followers than any other followers. How do people get started with content? How do they get started with creating the kind of things you're creating? Well, first and foremost, I would recommend... Brock, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hey, listen, I'm excited to have you here because your content has been super, super useful. Um, I've told like people in my like social media management team, I was like, follow this guy. Like, don't let me tell you anything because it's just going to come from you to me to them. <laughs> I'm like, look at this and listen to what he's saying. Um, it's been super, super useful. And I think one of the most interesting things and one of the reasons I really want to have you on here is because I've kept engaging with your content. Now, mm. we could say the algorithm did something there, but... It's also good content and it's kept me wanting to keep coming back and to keep learning. Now that, as you know, is very difficult, right? To have mm -hmm. people consistently, constantly engaging with your content and you've done something there. And, you know, people will see from the, the title of this podcast about you growing to 400,000 or growing 400,000 followers in a year. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. About a thousand new followers a day for a year. A thousand a day. Now, in the world of Instagram, that's pretty quick, right? Mm -hmm, definitely. Like, yeah, we're not, we're not messing around. So before you got into what you do now, which mm -hmm. I'll let you tell the people in a second, um, what were you doing before and what was your sort of career and life like before Instagram? Yeah, great question. Um, there wasn't a ton before Instagram. I often get asked, what was my job before Instagram? Before I started growing on Instagram, I was 18 years old. So I was relatively young. I was still in college. My first business, which I started when I was around 18 or 19, was an e-course, which I sold for about 20 US dollars. And the course was designed to help parents keep their kids safe on Snapchat so that was my original niche. That was my original topic and subject in my original business. It's, of course, grown and evolved and changed since then. Uh, but really, since the earliest days, I, I've never had a job. I've never worked a traditional nine to five. I've never had a boss. I've always been my own boss. Uh, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit about me. Um, and so it just kind of evolved from helping parents keep their kids safe on Snapchat to growing a business on Snapchat to then growing a business on Instagram. And that's really what started in 2019, 2018, maybe somewhere around there is where I really started to take Instagram seriously. And then it was about two or three years of consistent growth, but relatively slow, right? Like maybe 10 followers a day, 15 followers here or there. It just, uh, it was nothing ever to, to write home about. It was maybe a couple thousand new followers a year. And then March, or excuse me, April 1st of 2021, I believe it was now thinking back, it was almost two, yeah, it was over two years ago now. April 1st, 2021 was where the rapid growth really started. And we can get into the, the nitty gritty, but really the rapid growth came as a result of challenging myself to get super consistent and post one reel a day 
every single day for 30 days. That was the original challenge. Um, and at the end of that 30 days, I had had a few reels go viral. I'd, I had had some early success. Um, and I had 30,000 new followers at the end of those 30 days. So I was like, hey, if this is working. Let's just keep it going. So here we are uh, over two years later, and I'm still posting at least one reel a day. And the growth has been pretty consistent since April 1st, 2021. Wow. I mean, to, to set yourself a challenge like that, and then to actually do it as well, which is a key thing that a lot of people don't do. They say, yeah, yeah I'll post a reel. I'll do this. You did it. And then mm -hmm. to have 30,000 at the end of those 30 days from posting one reel a day. And it's not as easy as that. Reels take time. There's more to it, which we'll talk about. Like that's pretty epic. And I think if for people listening, hopefully that's encouraging them to set the challenge and actually take the challenge and do it because it's not easy. Um, it's easy to talk, but it's not easy to do it like you did. Now, you start on Snapchat mm -hmm. and then move to Instagram. Um, is Instagram your main platform? Yeah, I would say it's my main platform. Yeah, it's, it's my bread and butter at this point. And why, why did you choose Instagram? Because a common question you probably get it is, what platform do I use? And of course, it varies for everyone. But what was your reason for choosing Instagram? Yeah, my reason was pretty personal and selfish. And that was that I had success on Instagram. Um, I had success on Snapchat when I was on Snapchat. But if you'll remember back in, I think it was 2017, there was kind of this mass exodus away from Snapchat led by Kylie Jenner and a lot of other influencers um, because Instagram had released Instagram stories. And so they were like, why am I splitting my time between Instagram feed and Snapchat stories when I could just be doing the Instagram feed and the Instagram stories. And it also kind of coincided that at that same time, I was taking um, a couple months off away from my business. And so when I came back, I decided to come back on only Instagram and focus on Instagram stories rather than refocusing on Snapchat. Um, and then at that time, I was a college student athlete. So I played college football and I just didn't have the time in college to also grow on TikTok and Snapchat and YouTube. YouTube and a podcast. I did try to juggle all of these balls, but I knew that really I was going to have to put all of my focus in one uh, direction if I wanted to see success in that area or in any area, I should say. Um, and so I put all of my focus towards Instagram and I started to have success with Instagram. I started to grow with Instagram. Um, and so that has kind of just been where I've seen the most growth. I've seen the most results. That's definitely the platform that I, I study the most on a daily basis. Um, now I'm fortunate enough to have the time and the team and the capabilities to uh, dive into other platforms and study other social media apps as well. Um, but partially it was just the early success on Instagram. Um, it's the ongoing success on Instagram. And then the one thing that I will say more generally speaking um, is that there was a really interesting study done by Carrot Financial that just came out um, within the last year or so. And they were basically breaking down the value of a follower. So if you have 100 followers on Instagram, how much can you expect to make? If you have 100 followers on TikTok, how does that compare? And what they found was that on Instagram, the value of an individual follower is significantly higher. And I was surprised by this. It was even higher than things like uh, live streaming on Twitch, YouTube subscribers, or TikTok followers. Uh, Instagram followers were the quote unquote most valuable. And so from a business owner and entrepreneur, um, I, of course, there's, there's an obvious value in that. There's an obvious, uh, benefit to that because you're more likely to make more money from selling things to your Instagram followers than any other followers. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And that's a really interesting study and mm -hmm. surprising, I think. Yeah. 
It surprised me, definitely. Even as someone who's such a proponent of Instagram, it it surprised me because I was like, the live streaming on Twitch is so powerful or the, um, you know, the followings on YouTube are so massive and strong and the viewer base is so great. So I was surprised to see that on Instagram. Yeah, definitely. Especially because I think like the the cost of acquisition mm-hmm. on YouTube, for example, is I find it a lot harder to grow versus mm-hmm. Instagram. And you, so therefore I'd think the cost of acquiring a subscriber there would equal the value to you. But that's, that's really interesting to know. And I'll put a link to that, um, to the study and in the show notes for people to, mm-hmm. to go read the whole thing. Awesome. And speaking of value and making money, now I saw one of your videos where you were running through how much each of the platforms pay you directly, <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of income. And correct me if I'm wrong, was it around, $500 a month for over a hundred bits of content. It was something like that. Yeah. I think I actually added it up the other day. Um, I post 150 different pieces of content across all my different channels every month. And the total payout from YouTube AdSense, the TikTok creator fund reels bonuses, which used to exist and now doesn't exist anymore. So that actually was probably 95% of this monthly income that's now off the table. Um, and so that was in total about $500 a month. So now if you take away the Instagram Reels bonuses, really I'm left with a few pennies from TikTok and maybe a couple hundred bucks a month from uh, YouTube. So I may be making $100 or $200 off of 150 pieces of content and a couple million views every month. Yeah. So you know how we call it a creator economy? Yeah. <laughs> the economy is not a very healthy economy for creators. Like that's less... I mean, I don't know. That's just nothing. Um, no, it's 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 a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny. Um, I think that that's one of the traps that creators fall into is thinking that oh, the, the social media will pay me, YouTube will pay me, Instagram will pay me. Well, first and foremost, um, I know these apps are becoming less and less free, right? Like we can get into talking about Meta Verified, where now you're paying to be verified, paying for the blue check on Twitter. But for the most part you're free to use these social media apps. You don't have to pay for those subscriptions. And so you get free advertising. I think it's silly and unrealistic for us to expect that on top of the free advertising and reach that these social medias provide, they're also now going to be turning around and paying us thousands and thousands of dollars. The only people who are making substantial income or reliable income or who are able to put food on the table based off the content they put out are the top 0.1% of YouTubers. Like the very, very best YouTubers who are making uh, multiple videos a month, which are all receiving millions of views and the videos are 40 minutes long and they have seven different ads in them. Those creators are making enough money directly from YouTube to pay the bills. Uh, But for most of us, the creator economy really uh, lies in brand deals and partnerships. And I'm glad you brought this up because there was this article recently that was put out in the New York Times um, about an influencer. Her name is Lee, and I believe her handle or her persona used to be called Lee from America. And she basically recently made headlines by leaving her career as an influencer and going back to the nine to five, which for the last 30 years, you know, we've been hearing stories about and celebrating people who are triumphantly leaving their corporate job and becoming social media influencers. But she did the opposite. And I think one of the issues, uh, one of the bubbles that is formed within the creator economy is that the mega influencers, the Kim Kardashians, the Charlie D'Amelio's, the, the big time following people, they're charging a lot of money for posts, like six figures for one single post. 
but they're not getting great engagement or click-throughs and brands are starting to recognize that. So instead what's going on, and this is hopefully great news for everyone listening, is that brands are shifting their attention away from the mega influencers who are very expensive and don't drive great results. And they're shifting their attention to much smaller creators, creators with 100,000 followers or less, what might be called a micro influencer. Um, And these creators have much higher engagement. They charge much lower fees. Um, And so if you're someone who falls into that category, this should be great news for you uh, because your creator economy is is doing great right now. That's that's super interesting. And I've, I've kind of noticed that even like just looking at some of these posts and some of the engagement they get and then looking at some brands of certain sizes and seeing that actually huh, you're working with way smaller influencers than you think they would, but mm-hmm. it kind of makes more sense. You know, that engagement is so, it's like turnover and profit, right? It's like the profit yeah. is a lot more important than that top level figure. So whilst we're on the topic of making money, you know, if you're not making money from directly from the the platforms, you know, what is your business? How does it make money? And I suppose, because a lot of people will say to me when I try and tell them about branding and social media, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, how am I going to make money from this? I'm not going to make money from it. So I'd love for you to sort of break down how you make money from it and what your business is and why Instagram or a social media is so vital to the success of your business. Yeah. So I'll start there. The reason that social media is so vital to our success is that social media, as I said a moment ago, is the advertising. Social media is a great way and right now a relatively free or inexpensive way to reach millions and millions of people. There's no other way that you would have known who I was and we would be sitting here having this conversation if it wasn't for social media. So I think we all understand uh, the power and the value of social media, specifically as it pertains to a business. Um, But relying on said social media to pay you directly. That, as I said a moment ago, is something that's very risky, very faulty, and something that's not very reliable. Um, My personal business, we are primarily using social media to promote and grow that business. This is where it gets a little uh, confusing because our business is also teaching people how to grow on social media. So we are growing and we are then using social media to grow a business about how to grow a business on social media. So uh, that can be a little bit confusing, but that's that's my biggest source of income. Um, I also do coaching and speaking uh, for events and virtual events around the world, spoken on stages all over the United States. I'm actually flying to a, a conference this weekend. Um, and that's something that's really fun for me is getting to speak on stages. Um, affiliate promotions are also a big part of my income, which affiliates are something that's uh, great, especially if you're just getting started. I remember when I was early, early Snapchat days, uh, when I was getting maybe 500 viewers on my Snapchat story. So, uh, relatively small audience, especially compared to where I'm at now. And even back then I was able to provide for myself while I was in college by doing affiliate partnerships, which basically for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, that's where you can promote a brand for free. It's not a partnership or a deal. Almost every single uh, company or product that you use has affiliates. Just Google the name of the product and then the word affiliate. Um, it's usually like at the bottom of their website. Um, and it'll say like, you know, join affiliate program or become an ambassador. And then you get your own special code. And then you talk about the thing that you love. And when other people buy it, you get a certain percentage. So I remember when I was early on Snapchat, I had these like water bottles that, um, a friend of mine's company had. And basically I got a unique 
uh, discount code. And if I talked about the, the, the water bottle and how much I love it, and here's the great things about it, here's why it's beneficial, here's how it's charitable. Um, I said, use this code. And then they would get, my audience would get 20% off and I would get 20% back. And so when you start to do the math, I'm talking about this a few times a month and I'm making, you know, 50, $60 every time I talk about it, then this can add up to an income. And then as your audience grows, uh, these affiliate deals can grow as well and they can grow into brand partnerships, sponsorships. That's where brands, like I was talking a moment ago, are paying influencers, or I shouldn't even say paying influencers because that gives people the wrong idea. They're paying, they're paying you, they're paying micro influencers, or they're paying creators, they're paying anyone with a following. Um, as long as that following trusts them, they're paying those people uh, to promote. And then some other forms of income that my wife and I have between the two of us um, are our investments, um, both physical investments like real estate investments and also uh, the stock market, uh, brand partnerships I mentioned, social media direct pay, uh, reselling of products, so flipping things. We've done physical products. We've done digital products. We've done memberships. Um, and so it, it's a lot now, the, the 10 different streams or 11 different streams of income that my wife and I have. Um, but the way that we've gotten to this level is by building one at a time. And for anyone listening, I want them to um, hear all these ideas to hopefully be inspired, but also hopefully to not be overwhelmed of, oh my gosh, I got to do this and this and this and this. Just take a deep breath, pick one thing and focus on that for a few months until you get that up and rolling and self-sustaining. And then you can move on to the second or the third or the fourth stream of income. Amazing. And, you know, with, with social media, you know, you are on top of things, you know, you are posting things almost, I get a lot of my news about social media now from you, right? Good. Which is great <laughs> because it saves me having to read real news and just deal with all that like negativity. Uh, you just yeah. say, Instagram's doing this. And I'm like, cool, Instagram's doing this, people. Good to know. <laughs> and then I can kind of implement from it. And I downloaded um, Lemonade and Clapper, which we'll speak about. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're constantly on it. And of course, you're teaching people about social media, by growing social media. You're mm -hmm. also growing yours. Now, mm -hmm. social media is fantastic, as we can both attest to for income, for community, for so many reasons. But there is a dark side of it. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, they they are our overlords, um, Mr. Zuckerberg <laughs> and co. Engineer yeah. these apps to give us these dopamine hits, keep us on the platform, keep yeah. us engaged. You know, healthy, unhealthy, you know, we can argue that. Too much of anything is unhealthy. Mm -hmm. How do you balance life? I and mean, it's just hard when you're an entrepreneur, but how do you balance life with social media and stop it from sort of stealing your day and getting caught in the trap when you almost kind of have to be in the trap because it's your business? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, and I agree. I think that maybe more than any other uh, influence or any other niche or any other industry, um, people who are actively teaching others how to use social media, we might have to be more caught in the trap than anyone else. Um, but I can say that personally, I only spend about an hour and 15 minutes per day on Instagram wow. um, in total. And that includes time where I'm mindlessly scrolling and just kind of watching my friend's content um, and watching my grandma's story because she's recently used how to use, learn how, learned how to use Instagram stories. Um, and they're always 60 seconds long. She always takes up that entire 60 second timer. Um, so that in and of itself, that's one out of my hour and 15 minutes. Um, but all jokes aside, I there's a few things that I do to protect my quality balance of life and just to maintain that balance of life. First and foremost, I have quite a few boundaries uh, relating to Instagram. Um, and I'm very strict with those boundaries. I don't use um, 
Instagram after a certain time. I don't use it before a certain time. I don't do business or have meetings or calls before a certain hour or after a certain hour. I'm also a huge proponent. Probably um, the thing that I'm most passionate about and most willing to stand on a soapbox and preach about is hiring help and outsourcing because I think that it's the, the greatest decision I've ever made in my business. The best thing I've ever done for my business was hiring help. And I was really, really fortunate to be raised by parents who taught me that, showed me that, um, and who I got to see the opposite sides of what happens when you don't hire help. I got to see all of that growing up. So when I was 19 and I started that first Snapchat business, one of the very first things I did was hire someone before I was ready to hire someone. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this trap of, I'm going to wait till I grow to a certain size and then I'll hire someone. I'll wait until I feel like I need it and then I'll look for help. When in actuality, that's the reverse of how it should be. You will not grow to the size you want to grow to. Your business most likely will not take off. You might most likely will not grow to the number of followers that you want to have until you invest in the help, until you outsource, until you delegate and create a team around you. So now I have a team that helps me design posts. I recently brought in an editor who edits my reels. I love editing reels. It's something I enjoy doing, but it's just not something that I, that I want to spend hours every single day doing. So after a few years of creating my own short form videos, I now have an editor to do that. We have a podcast editor, uh, I have a graphic designer, and I also have a community manager. This is probably the, the biggest uh, influential team member that I've recently added. Um, and it's her full-time job to answer my comments, respond to people, and interact in my direct messages. Because mm. I get a lot of messages and a lot of questions and a lot of people confused yep. about Instagram. Um, and I, I would not have a life. I would not be a good husband. I would not be a good dog dad if I was spending all day answering every DM and message and comment that I received. So I've hired someone and I can now pay her and she can now provide for herself and her family and I can make sure that all of my community members are taken care of as well. Um, so that's been absolutely huge. Um, and then the final thing that I'll say about having that quality balance of life um, is making sure that you're doing things that aren't, uh, I'll say, productive in a capitalistic sense. So they're not productive in that they're going to make you a better worker. They're going to make you a better employee. They're going to make you more money. They're going to you know, be a task to check off your to-do list, but they're purely just good for your soul. They're you being present in the moment. They're maybe you playing a video game or reading a book, um, things that you do just for you and that you're not going to document and put on social media. You're not doing it because, oh, after I you know take an hour break to watch a couple episodes of The Office, then I'm going to be an even better worker answering my emails. No, taking a break to watch The Office just purely for the sake of having a few laughs and enjoying that moment, that's really, really important to me. And I try to find... Uh, those moments multiple times throughout the day. I love that. And that's that's a really nice one to kind of summarize the points on because like this podcast is called Being Better. And mm -hmm. half of that is a play on being. So being present and being in the moment. Mm -hmm. And what you said is, is pretty much that is do it for just do it for doing it. You know, like go for a walk because you like it. You know, go yeah. do some gardening because you like it. I have a mm -hmm. huge fish tank here. Just sit here and watch them sometimes. And I'm like, I love that. You know, that's not productive, but well, it, <laughs> You know, and actually, I think doing that stuff is actually productive in a capitalist sense because it gives you a break. It lets you refresh. So even though in the moment it's not, and people need to realize this, taking breaks is going to help your like return on investment. It's going to make you more productive because you've taken that break, even though it's non-productive. So it's like it helps and for your mental health to, to do these things and not just be constantly in it. So earlier in this, this podcast, 
I mentioned your 400,000 followers in a year and you mentioned some numbers there about growth. Um, I want to zoom in on, I suppose, like your profile almost because, you know, you've grown for a reason, you know, your content, your profile, what you do and how you do it. So I have some questions specifically about your profile and how you do things Mm -hmm. because also I'll share a link in the show notes. My video editor will put it somewhere here on screen. (laughs) People should go look at it and study it, right? Because, you. you know, People who've done what you want to do leave clues. So mm-hmm. your profile picture is your face smiling and a bright yellow background. Is there any rationale behind that? There's tons of rationale, tons of intention. I've heard from a lot of people, why do you look like a cartoon character in your profile picture? My mom was even the first person to say that. She goes, why is your smile so like big and over the top? And that's intentional so that it grabs attention. There's a reason why yellow is my background. It's not my favorite color, but I know it's the color that's going to grab the most attention. So yellow is my background behind this big, goofy, smiling photo of myself. When I normally smile in photos, I don't smile that big. But in the profile picture, I know that it's so itsy bitsy tiny that I wanted to make sure it popped off the page out of the thousands of other profile pictures we're seeing every single day. So yeah, that was absolutely intentional. I thought so. And because I picked yellow for my brand and one of my t-shirts in the background there, I picked Mm -hmm. it for that exact reason, right? Because it's one of my favorite colors, but it just, it stands out. So, and it does, like your page is Mm -hmm. literally like, whoa. So (laughs) that makes sense. I like that. And on your Instagram, you don't have, because with the highlights you can have, I don't know how many, but you can have quite a Mm -hmm. few. You Mm -hmm. had three, I think last time I checked. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, first and foremost, highlights aren't that important. Most people aren't going to watch them. Most people don't watch. Most people don't really engage with them the way we think. Uh, most of the time, the people watching highlights are the person who made the highlight themselves. They're just like rewatching it to kind of watch literally their own highlight reel, right? Imagining what a new follower might be seeing or thinking of ourselves. Um, but in reality, they're not super important. Um, I know that for some people who do a lot of story content, Instagram stories, that is. Um, and they're sharing random tidbits about random different topics and talking about all these different interests. For them, they might use highlights a little bit differently and they might strategically be adding you know, dozens of highlights every single week so that their audience has a place of reference to revisit a story that they may have missed. I know that uh, my mom does that, for example. For myself personally, I don't really use my stories that way. And so I don't really use my highlights that way. My highlights, I think I have one that's like a a start here or kind of an about me type of highlight. So that if someone is new to my page and they are the type of person who wants to watch highlights, they are part of that 1%, then sure, they have a place to watch. And then I think I have another one uh, that is kind of here are my offers, just a brief explanation of the different things I can do for you. Um, And then the third one is, I think, just some random goofy highlights of myself dancing. But it's not super important. It's not something that I'm really going to stress out about because I know that it's going to make, if anything, a a 0.1% difference. Fine. Makes sense. And your bio, which is, Mm -hmm. I suppose, the second, I'm looking at it on my computer, so it's to the side of it, but on the Mm -hmm. side, it's below it. I remember correctly, below it to the side of it. What makes a good bio? I'm just going to read yours so people who are listening can can, um, visualize it. So in bold, it has the Instagram growth coach. Mm-hmm. Your fire emoji and then growth tips for creators and entrepreneurs. You've got a star emoji, 400K followers in one year, rocket ship, seven figure business owner, 25 years old. Click here for IG coaching and there's an arrow emoji and there's your link. What makes a good bio? And I mm-hmm. suppose also within that is like, what makes this a good bio? Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, another great thing to unpack. So the first line that's in bold, that is 
it's kind of hard to describe, but it's not technically a part of the bio. Technically, that's what's known as your name line on Instagram. And because it's the name line, most people just put their first and last name. However, this line is equally searchable to your username. So if your username has your first and last name, which mine does, my username is Brock11Johnson. So if anyone looks up Brock Johnson, they will find me that way. It would be redundant of me to also type Brock Johnson on the Instagram name because they can already search for Brock Johnson and find me because it's in my username. So instead on the Instagram name, I recommend coming up with a very strategic um, search engine optimized title for yourself, something that would be searchable. So a lot of times when I start to talk about this, people say, oh, you know, my, my girlies, they, they call me the, the diva marketing ninja. And I'm like, that's great that you, your nickname is the diva marketing ninja, but no one's going to look that up. So instead, we should write female uh, female business coach for moms or wh- whatever it may be. You know, it's like some specific searchable title, something that other people would be looking up. And so uh, to that point, for a long time, mine said IG growth coach, but people aren't looking up IG. They're way more likely to be looking up Instagram growth coach. So I changed it. And so that's what that line says. Instagram also recently extended that line to be now up to 64 characters, I believe it is. So you can fit your name, like if you want to have your first and last hyphen and then some keywords. So that's really first and foremost. That's very, very important. Um, Then moving through the actual bio, I usually recommend having three to four lines, uh, really no more than four lines in your bio, because once you get more than that, or even if you have three lines, but they're like really long, so they you know they go on to the next line, uh, Instagram will, will truncate it. It will cut off the bottom and it will say dot, dot, yes. dot more. And of course, with every additional click uh, that we make people have to make, you know, now they have to tap on the more button to read, see the rest of our bio, they're less likely to do it. They're less likely to convert. So make it easy on people when they're just quickly glancing at your bio, make your bio so it's readable without having to press dot, dot, dot more. So mine has four lines. The first line, I always recommend having something that's uh, basically articulating who you are posting for and what you are posting about. So mine says growth tips, which has uh, broadened out as I've grown. I've broadened out my niche. When I first got started on Instagram, it was just uh, Instagram stories tips. So it's it's grown since then. Um, and then also now it says for creators and entrepreneurs. That's like my 50th iteration of my who of my ideal target audience. And that's another thing that's broadened and changed. Now that I'm at 600,000 followers and I built this big community, I can essentially talk to more people. I can broaden my niche. Um, Think about like someone like Kim Kardashian, right? Mega, mega influencer, millions and millions of followers. She could talk about whatever the heck she wants and she'll get views for it. She'll, She'll get engagement for it. But if you're someone who's just getting started, then it's much easier to grow an audience if you get crystal clear as to your what and your who. What are you posting about and who are you posting for? So that's the first line on my bio. Uh, The next two lines are just kind of credibility, kind of basically trying to explain to people, here's why I'm credible to teach what I teach. Here's why I do what I do. Um, And then the last line on my bio, I always like to recommend having that be some sort of a call to action to direct people to your link. So again, mine says, click here for Instagram coaching because that's what people see. They see I'm an Instagram growth coach. They see my credibility. And so the natural next question is, well, how can I get your coaching? How can I get your help? So I just give them a link, click here for Instagram coaching, and then they can visit uh, one of our sales pages. I like that. Really simple. And the truncated bit about getting an extra click, getting an extra tap out of someone, it's 
as much as you think, oh, it's just pressing a tap, like you said, any extra work, ain't mm-hmm. nobody going to do it. No one has any attention mm-hmm. for that. So that's a really good, I need to shorten mine. And you posted something today, which mm-hmm. hasn't hit all accounts yet, but Instagram is allowing uh, up to five different links mm-hmm. in the kind of thing. So when you click on it, it'll say um, com and two other links, click on it, it kind of opens it up. I can see why that's a negative, um, but can you explain to people why you probably won't be using it and why they should maybe stick to one link? Yeah, absolutely. So brand new feature just rolled out by Instagram. They've been working on it for a really, really long time um, because for years on Instagram, people have used things like link trees, like stand stores and other um, apps and websites that allow you to essentially put multiple links in your bio. And while I think I originally used a link tree, I was very quick to recognize the issues with it. And it's an issue that most advertisers and marketers are well aware of, which is that the more you confuse, the more you lose. And essentially what I'm trying to say is that when you have those multiple links, you're now asking people to make a choice of which link do they want to click and to take an extra step. So let's let's follow the, the two different paths you could go on. Let's say you say, click the link in my bio and someone goes to your bio and you only have one link. Well, then there's no thought. There's no other options. They click on the link and they're immediately on the page you want them to be on. If you say, go click the link in my bio and they click on it and it's a link tree and now there's seven different links. Well, now already we've added an extra step because first they have to visit the link tree or the stand store or the milkshake. There's a million different versions of this. And then they have to pick. They have to remember which one you told them to pick, or they have to read through the different lines, or even if you make it like the very first link and it's like shaking and vibrating and there's arrows pointing to it, there are still other options. And so there's been some studies and I looked these up today. One is uh, from Columbia University and they noted in a study that sales decreased as the number of choices increased. Another study um, that was published in the Journal of Marketing, uh, the Journal of Marketing Research said that researchers found that offering too many options can actually decrease the perceived value of a product. Customers may feel overwhelmed or uncertain about which option to choose. And then the third study that I cited kind of talking about why I won't be using this multiple link option um, was done by Google. And they found that um, in advertisements, when there were multiple options, it led to fewer clicks and lower click-through rates. So moral of the story, if you're someone who doesn't really care about click-through rates, you don't really care about purchase rates. You kind of just want people to be able to choose from a menu of visiting your YouTube or your podcast or whatever, then sure, use the multiple links, use a link tree, that's fine. But if you're someone who's actually trying to make sales or direct people to a specific link or, or increase conversions, then I would recommend sticking to just one link. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many studies on that. From I remember there's one on Levi Jeans when you used to walk in and there were like 60 different things and, and mm-hmm. they kind of learned that with menus and so i'm also surprised that it took um instagram so long to do a really simple thing right right (laughs) like i know you got coded stuff i'm like you have the best engineers in the world but it took you that long um and the new feature isn't really that pretty either it's like you know it's yeah who knows (laughs) what these tech what's going on with these tech companies um another thing is uh not specifically about your profile but Mm -hmm. algorithm Everyone loves to say, oh, the algorithm changes so often, never keep up with it. One day is reels. Next day, they take the bonuses away. Next day, they've balanced it out. Like, how do you stay on top of the algorithm? Does it sort of, do you feel pressure from it? Do you, do you get annoyed that you have to kind of change what you're doing? Like, how does the algorithm affect 
your content, your growth, if it does? Mm, it doesn't uh, because the algorithm hardly changes. It rarely changes. Maybe every couple of months, there's a slight tweak and it's usually very, very noticeable. And it's usually directly coinciding with something that is obvious. Like, oh, hey, Instagram just released this new thing called Reels. So of course the algorithm has to change to incorporate Reels. Or hey, Instagram CEO made an announcement that uh, they're going to balance out the reach between non-Reels and Reels. That's very obvious. Things are going to change. Um, but for the most part, I think people focus way too much on the algorithm and not enough on the audience when ultimately it is the audience that dictates the algorithm. So it's not necessarily that uh, the algorithm changes every day or the algorithm is unpredictable or the algorithm is always wanting different things when it actually our audience changes every day and people get bored of the same thing over and over again. And so I really appreciated the compliment that you gave me earlier about you're always seeing my content. And despite following me for an extended period of time now, you're still engaged by my content. That's not because I'm thinking about uh, the algorithm. That's because I'm thinking about you, my audience, and thinking about how if every one of my reels looks the same, people are going to get bored. If every one of my posts is a reel, people are going to get bored. So the more variety I can add, the better. You know, there's that old cliche saying that uh, variety is the spice of life. Well, variety is also the way to get engagement on Instagram. You got to constantly be trying different things out and testing different things and posting different kinds of content because your audience isn't going to want to see the exact same thing every single day. They want variety and change. And then also when you're constantly varying your content and changing things and trying new things out, then you find the one little thing that, hey, the last four carousels I've made and shared have done really well. So I'm going to keep doing those. Hey, I did this test where I posted a one second video and it blew up. So I'm going to keep doing that until it stops working. And then you're able to look at your posts as individual data points to learn from rather than um, something that's a direct rec uh, reflection of your value of, as a human being. And ah, oh, this post didn't get a lot of likes. So the algorithm must hate me and I must be a bad content creator. No, you just one post didn't do well. So make another one and change things up a little bit. Yeah, I love that. I think it's it kind of speaks to the core principles of producing good content, right? Like no matter how much you polish a turd, no matter how much you time it at the right time or you, oh, the algo prefers, if your content is shit, it's shit. You know, like yeah. good content, you know, to an extent is always going to outlive and outshine yes. any other little thing. Mm -hmm. Now, when we speak of content, this is probably, this is one of the things that people really struggle with. And I think I mean, you clearly don't struggle with it. Maybe you do, but it doesn't seem like you struggle with it. I don't struggle with it either because I think once you learn that content is everything and everywhere, especially mm -hmm. in, a, in an open niche like entrepreneurship, social media, mm -hmm. business, it, it becomes natural to be able to create content. But for people who are starting out and who are still a bit like, yeah, okay, I need to do social media, but what do I talk about? I mm -hmm. actually hate this question. Because I get asked it so much, but I'm yeah. going to ask you this for beginners. And again, obviously different niches, it'll change kind of, you know, differently, but how do people get started with content? How do they get started with creating the kind of things you're creating? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I would recommend starting with some sort of niche. If you really want to grow, if you want to grow a business, if your goal is to 
get followers, make money, you know, gain a customer base, then you're going to need some sort of a niche. But if your goal is to just start creating content, and you can do this in either option, either um, starting order, then you really just need to flip and rip the bandaid off and get started. I have a post, I think it's actually scheduled for tomorrow, um, kind of showing people some of my earliest days of, of content creation. Because as we addressed earlier, even though I you know, got started on Instagram, maybe in 2018, that's when I started taking it seriously. Um, and I was on Snapchat for a few years before that. I had been on Instagram for a decade. So I'd been on Instagram since 2012, making posts, testing things out, learning how to use it just casually. I had been making YouTube videos since I was like, 10 or 11 years old. I used to have like a basketball trick shots video. Um, I had my first podcast when I was uh, in, in 2018, when I was like maybe 18 or 19 years old. Um, and I had like 50 episodes in that year. Uh, so I, I've, I've been creating content. I, I made an educational video about how to turn your skateboard into a snowboard that you could use on the trampoline when I was like 10. And I think I made it for a school project and I posted it on YouTube. I, I had a blog that was ran by my mom when I was like eight and, and no one even knew what the blog was besides like my one aunt and my sister. And I think my dog had a fake account that was also run by my mom. And so every blog post had like four views and four comments, but all of that to just say, I've been making content for 15 to 20 years at this point. I mean, I just turned 26 years old and I've almost been making content my entire life. Um, and so don't compare yourself. This is a, a word of advice to anyone listening or watching. Don't compare yourself to me or to any other content creator out there. Uh, just, just start making content, dive in, start, start creating things that you like, that you enjoy, pick up on little things. When you watch TV or a movie, uh, pick up on little things that they did that made you laugh or that grabbed your attention. The next time you're watching a reel or a TikTok, what made you stop scrolling to actually watch that video and then see if you could replicate it in your own video. Um, but really just rip the bandaid off and get started. Um, and then you will get better over time. And maybe eventually you'll figure out what your niche is and who you want to talk to and what you want to talk about. But it really doesn't necessarily matter which one you start with. Uh, but if you don't have both, it's going to be really, really tough to grow. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, when you're watching other reels in your niche, well, take content ideas from that. Um, yeah. You know, go on YouTube, take content ideas from that. To be fair, I've been using chat GPT recently just to test it out. And even just for content ideas or like, hey, I'm going to do a 15 minute video on public speaking. Give mm -hmm. me the, give me the, you know, things I should cover. I know them, but I can't be asked. It was 2023, like just, you know, and I know you posted something about chat GPT recently. Mm -hmm. um, so you can use things like that. And just yeah. while we're here, um, ChatGPT stuff is from it is very generic. I don't think it captures your unique brand voice, which is fine yeah. as a computer. For people on Instagram starting out, any quick pro tips that they can use ChatGPT for? Yeah, ChatGPT is great for for some ideas for general recommendations. I like that the way you kind of described it is, hey, I'm going to do a video on public speaking. And so I'm just having ChatGPT give me the bullet points or the topics that I need to hit. Because yeah. we all, you know, as someone who's going to be making a video on that, you know what they are, but maybe there's one that's just escaping you at the moment. Yeah. You're, you're writing down your notes and you're like, oh yeah, shoot, I, I forgot. I knew that, but I just needed someone to jog my memory. So it's great for stuff like that. I use ChatGPT um, for ideas all the time. Um, I also use it for quick research. Um, those data points or those studies that I shared with, with you earlier about click-through rates and about uh, having multiple options and how that 
uh, hurts the the product value. That came from ChatGPT. I went over to ChatGPT after Instagram made the announcement about the multiple links in bio. And again, it's something that I knew as a marketer that when you confuse, you lose. And I knew anecdotally, and I knew from our own company that when you have multiple options and links and things like that, it's confusing and it hurts click-through rate. But I also knew that there were some big studies out there. So rather than Googling, you know, what are some, just some, some generic search about, you know, what are some examples of how multiple links can, it's going to confuse Google. I can go to a way more intelligent resource like chat GPT. And I know Google's coming out with their own version. I think they're calling it like Bard or something like that. Um, they just announced it. But anyways, uh, I used chat GPT and I was like, Hey, give me some examples of how multiple links or multiple options can impact click-through rate. And boom, it gave me a couple studies from Google and from Columbia. And then I don't have to sift through millions and millions of links and research. I can just have it kind of in a condensed format, which is easily digestible. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like an AI researcher. And when yeah. you don't want to sit there writing things out. And actually, for some reels, I've got one of my my video editors. I said to him, chuck this in ChatGPT. See what it comes up with, like a, a really short generic caption for a reel. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it is generic-ish. It doesn't have my voice or my humor, mm-hmm. but it serves a purpose sometimes. And I look at him yeah. and I said to him, is this you or Chan? He goes, this is Chan. I said, okay, this was close. I was going to say for a minute, this was the copywriter. So maybe she needs to improve. And <laughs> But um, I'm looking forward to Google's version. I like yeah. the Google. Every device in here is going to start talking to me now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that would be really exciting, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've spoken a lot about reels and you Mm -hmm. produce a lot of reels, a lot of different reels. And that was your challenge that kind of got you started on this epic journey. So is there a sort of, are there a set of principles or a general structure or kind of set of rules that you follow when you're making a reel that make it a good reel? Yeah. Yes. And no, I would say, um, I don't think that there's necessarily one structure that I follow for all of my reels. I think that there are different structures that I follow depending on the type of reel. And generally speaking, I have a few different types. One type is um, direct-to-camera educational, oftentimes sitting exactly where I'm sitting right now. Uh, It's, you know, talking me, speaking directly into the camera with a microphone. It's very professionally edited. It's usually educational, uh, explaining some sort of tip or strategy. Those, I always start with a hook. Um, oftentimes a hook with a negative word so that I can draw people in and make them more likely to watch, but not always. It's just sometimes using that kind of negative hook of, you know, stop doing this, avoid doing this. Uh, and then I always end with a call to action. So for those educational direct to cameras, I always end with a call to action. Um, but then also recently I've been doing a lot more meme reels. So for the last two years, I've been doing trending audio remakes where, Essentially, like let's break it down to what it really is. The trending audio is a soundbite from a movie that's funny, and then people are lip syncing it, right? And then they're make they're putting a little text over it to relate it to their niche or their industry. That's what's been really popular. Um, but I thought about it and I was like, well, me lip syncing Will Ferrell will not be as funny as the actual clip of Will Ferrell. So I might as well just use his actual clip from the movie. 
And so I've been doing that. And that's what a meme is. A meme is someone taking, you know, a pop culture moment, a soundbite from a movie, a clip from a TV show, um, and just capturing that one moment, but then applying it to different scenarios and situations. And so that's what I've been doing recently. And so for those, um, there has, there's not like a hook, there's not a call to action at the end, because I don't have the ability to customize what the movie character said. I just take the clip directly from the show or whatever. And so I've been doing those recently. Um, when I was doing lip sync reels a lot more, which I'm still doing them some, but when I was doing them every single day, um, again, no real way to add a hook because I'm lip syncing something, but I would at least add some sort of call to action onto the screen at the end. Um, but generally speaking, no, there's there's not a, a really harsh structure or a rigid formula that I follow for my reels. There are some basic guiding principles like, you know, I want my head to be in the upper third of the frame. I don't want to, you know, be at the bottom of the screen or off center. Um, I want to make sure that I have good lighting because uh, videos that are lit well can get up to 60% more engagement. Um, I like to use color psychology. You know, if, if I'm making a bold claim that people might not trust, then I'll use the color blue because blue promotes trust in the people you're watching. If I am breaking news, like I did earlier today, I'll use the color red to grab people's attention and denote that this is something that they should stop and pay attention to. Um, so color psychology is another thing I use. And then uh, the one other thing that I always, always, always add to every reel is closed captions because studies have shown that about 80% of Instagram users consume content on mute. Um, and so it's very important that I and that everyone uses closed captions for their videos so that everyone has accessibility to your content. I love that. It totally makes sense. And the lighting piece. Now I, I know lighting is important and I'm the amount of kit in front of me. This is not even perfectly lit either, but the amount of lighting I have for YouTube mm -hmm. and other things. And I talk about it. I didn't realize it was that much more, but it makes mm -hmm. sense because Lighting can totally change how you look and how you come across and people sort of trust in you, warm light, blue light. I mean, there's so much into this. So mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And lighting doesn't have to be expensive. Amazon mm -hmm. has, you know, green lights and all sorts of decent stuff. Um, what about quality? Now, some people will use their pixels, their iPhones, or some will use a four grand SLR. What do you think about quality of the video? Yeah, I think that uh, your phone is fine. Uh, and I know we're talking about lighting and I don't want people to get overwhelmed with with all the different pieces that we're talking about. For the first two years of my rapid growth, I did not use a professional mic. I did not use a professional camera. I did not use professional lighting. I used my phone and I, in fact, didn't even use the back facing camera on the phone. I used like the selfie cam, the front camera, which is a little bit worse. I used that camera and I used uh, the natural free lighting called the sun. And that was it. That was literally it. And I actually was talking to a YouTuber friend um, a couple months ago, and he gave me a gift of like a, a phone, mic, a, a iPhone microphone. And I was like, what's this for? And he goes, dude, your audio on your videos, it's all over the place. Sometimes it's echoey. Sometimes it's hollow. Sometimes it's high pitched, low. He's like, please just use this. And I was like, I have a microphone. I'm just the type of person who I'd much rather just create the content, make it raw, real, imperfect in the moment than worry about all of these additional little bells and whistles. Um, and so you don't need any of those things. But if you are someone who is looking to invest and maybe take your content up a notch, um, I would actually recommend starting with uh, audio and microphones before lighting, because uh, 
that's 50% of video. 50% of video is the audio, yet the audio is something that we often pay such little attention to. So start with the audio and then start to invest in things like, you know, lights and professional cameras and, and all that fancy gadgets and stuff. But really the phone in your hand is, is plenty enough. Now, some people are not going to like that because they had an excuse ready in their head, which was, oh, I haven't got the kit, I haven't got the money. Yeah. So I'm so glad you've said that. Yeah. And I can say to people, shut up. Like, <laughs> look how many followers Brock has, look at how he's grown and don't make excuses. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I totally agree. Like the sound, I mean, I've got these, how useful they are, who knows, but you know, there's so many little things you can do to improve sound mm -hmm. and actually mm -hmm. you develop an ear for it, like in this room, if I, if I lean about a meter forward, the sound is audibly different to my own ears than it is mm -hmm. back here. And when mm -hmm. you go in certain podcast studios and it sounds dead, it kind of makes you feel a little bit uneasy. So there's, <laughs> there's so many elements here, but mm -hmm. I love that you said for the first two years, you were just doing your thing. And yeah. then with thumbnails, because you've got some really good thumbnails, of course, there's intention with this. Is it pretty much the same as the reels in terms of the color psychology, having text to hook people in? Is it all about the hook? Yeah, it's all about the hook, a little bit to do with color psychology. Um, I also don't want my thumbnails to get too repetitive. I realize that I make a lot of the same faces and I have a lot of the same poses. So I don't want like four reels in a row where I'm like on the left side, making a shocked face and pointing up. Um, so I, I like to change those things. But similar to highlights, I don't actually put a ton of thought into my Instagram covers and thumbnails because I know that most people aren't really finding my videos because they're scrolling through my profile and finding one clip. That's the majority of people. The most people are just seeing them in their feed. They're getting them shared with them to a friend. Uh, so my biggest thought uh, when creating or picking my thumbnail for my content is I just want to make sure that the content aligns with the video. I want to make sure that whatever is being shown on that little preview window of the thumbnail, that that alludes to or leads people into whatever the actual content is delivering. Fine. That makes sense. And, you know, with some of your videos are more TikTok-y, let's call mm -hmm. them, right? They're more fun, they're more dancing, they're more like, maybe there's no value. Well, the value is delivered in a way that is a lot less serious and kind of scholarly mm -hmm. yeah. than, you know, it could be. Yeah. You know, what? what's the reception been like to that? And mm -hmm. has it been positive and negative? Yeah. It's been mostly positive. Um, I will say that surprisingly over the last uh, month or so, I've received significantly less consistent engagement on my dancing reels. Uh, while there was a period of time at the end of 2022 where I was doing maybe one a week and the majority of them, which is weird to say, were almost going viral or at least going VFM viral for me. They were like doing really well, tons of likes. Like it didn't even really matter what I was saying or what value I was delivering. If I was like doing a little dance routine in the video, people flipping loved it and they ate it up. Now, for whatever reason, maybe it's like we talked about earlier, the, the whole variety thing, people kind of just got bored with it. They got over it. It could be that my dance routines aren't as great as they used to be. It could be that uh, my twerking has just, I've lost a step. Um, or just audience preferences change. So recently, I've been I haven't been receiving as great of engagement on those. Uh, so I've kind of stepped back from them a little bit. I don't think I've posted a dancing video in maybe a month or so. But that's also who I am. I love dancing. I, I love making goofy videos. 
Um, I was watching super side tangent, but I was watching Love is Blind and I don't want to spoil anything, but on the reunion, they were talking about how one of the male characters, or I should say male uh, people on the show, um, he was getting kind of called out by his partner because he was twerking. And I, in that moment was like, oh my gosh, like she would have called me out too, because like, that is me. Um, my point is that that is me. Like I am goofy. I am dancing. That's part of who I am. So even if I'm not dancing and doing a TikTok esque reel, um, I think my, my goofiness, my silliness, my humor, my sarcasm, those things are still coming up even in some of my more serious content. Yeah, I love that. I would, I would definitely get called out for twerking. I'm sure I have before. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what you said there is authenticity, right? Mm -hmm, as yeah. much as, you know, your page may not be documenting your life, right? Like it may not be, you know, it's more like you're just adding value in so many different ways. You're, you're still talking with your voice and how you are and your face and your expressions and your style and you're commentating on things in your way and sharing your opinion. And yeah, that's a really important part of, I think, a brand and social media is having authenticity. No one likes you to be this way. But then when you're on an Instagram live, you're like totally different. They meet you and they're like, you're yeah. not who, you know, and Instagram social media is full of liars, full of fakes. It's, yeah. you know, especially when there's money to be made, mm -hmm. like anything in life, there's going to be liars, there's going to be people doing things they shouldn't. So mm -hmm. that authenticity is what connects people with you. So, you know, you know what it's like. Some people are going to love you, some are going to hate you and that's, can't change it. Like it is what it is. And you know, I think you've given a lot of awesome tips here about Instagram, about social media, about what's happening in the current. Mm -hmm. Now, there's always news. There's always the US government trying to ban apps um, mm -hmm. because they think, you know, they're being listened to. We're being listened to no matter what, right? Uh, yeah. Like, like that's how, if they, it's not TikTok. It's every single app. It's, you know, we're always being spied on. Like that's normal. So, I, yeah. you know, I don't, I mean, I do get why, but, mm -hmm. you know, there's always something changing and there's always yeah. someone trying to kill Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. You know, there's always these kind of um, underdogs to try and, you know, shake it all up. Mm -hmm. And TikTok came in, smashed the doors open and is winning. It has been winning. Yeah. Will it continue? Let's see, you know. Um, but there's new apps coming out all the time. Clubhouse came out and I think it's still around. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't think it would last long and I think it's a bit dead. Um, yeah why waste an hour like not you know we're recording this now for an hour and this will live forever people mm -hmm. will in three years follow you from this and say oh yeah mm -hmm. i heard you three years ago and so it makes more sense now i saw two social media apps on your uh page lemonade and clapper i downloaded mm -hmm. them both let me give us a quick sort of you know what your thoughts are on either one then i'll tell you what i think as well yeah, absolutely. I loved your analysis. I think that in the last 10, 15 years, there's only been one social media that's came about and stayed about, and that was TikTok. Clubhouse, love that you brought that up. It was here and then gone. Like it was around for like a couple minutes. It was it was at the perfect time. It was like right when yes. the world shut down and we were all stuck in our houses. And then there was this app where we could all like talk to each other. But then as you said, the social component sucks. There's no evergreen content. So whatever you're creating, it instantly disappears. So anyways, um, and then there was Be Real, right? Be Real blew up and you could like take the front facing selfie and the outward facing camera um, at the same photo at the same time. And there was like a notification that would go out. Did you ever get on Be no, Real? I yeah, Be Real. It was social media. Literally, it was like dominating the news for like two weeks and then it was gone. Um, it was maybe October, September through 
maybe November of 2022. Um, and basically you would get a little notification and then everyone get, would get the same notification at the same time, as long as they were in the same like general region. Um, so everyone in the U S gets a ping at the same time and they all have to take a photo within a minute or two, um, of their front facing selfie and their outward facing. So it was supposed to be real, like in the moment, unedited, uncurated what's going on, but it very quickly died for a similar reason. There was no evergreen content. There's not much for marketers. Um, there was very little growth, but these two new apps, um, and I say new because they're, they're gaining popularity right now, but Clapper isn't even that new. Clapper's actually been around since 2020. Um, and Clapper started out as a right-wing alternative to TikTok, but has kind of grown into just straight up an alternative to TikTok. Um, there definitely is still its influences from its original roots, but it yeah. is truly a, a social media app that is a carbon copy of TikTok. It looks the same, it acts the same. It's just not owned by ByteDance and it doesn't have the same quote, um, you know, threats or security risks as TikTok. So a lot of TikTokers are considering hopping over to Clapper. I know a lot of people have had uh, early success with Clapper. Even myself, when I first got on, I just posted some of my reels and TikToks that I'd already shared. And a few of them did really well. And so that was cool to see. I got a couple thousand followers like within the first couple of days. That was that was fun. Um, but I, I think it's truly just an alternative to TikTok. Um, and so if TikTok is never banned, then Clapper, I don't think we'll ever have that much success. The other app though, Lemon8, which is meant to sound like Lemonade, but it's Lemon and then the number eight, it's owned by TikTok and it is a carbon copy of Instagram. So uh, just like Reels are Instagram's version of TikTok. TikTok's version of Instagram is Lemonade. And so Lemonade, it looks like Instagram. It performs like Instagram. It's mainly photo-based. Right now, it's very aesthetic photo-based. So it's all about like pretty hyper-curated, beautifully polished photos. I hope that changes as a, on a personal note. Um, but I have seen some good success on Lemonade. I've had a few posts go viral now. I think one is over 100,000 views, which is crazy. I'm at almost 2,000 followers on Lemonade within a couple weeks. And it actually, this one is new. So Lemonade just launched in the United States um, at the end of February slash beginning of March, 2023. So it's relatively new. It's also not available worldwide yet. So as it becomes available in more markets, it's most likely to you know grow even more and have new resurgence of, of growth and member members joining. Um, but we'll see. I think if I had to bet on one out of the two, I would bet that Lemonade is going to be more yep. successful. Also, just because it's backed by TikTok. TikTok has an infamously great algorithm and a lot of money driving it. Um, and so it, it could. It also could be like Gen Z's alternative to Instagram because Gen Z isn't always the biggest fan of Instagram. So maybe Lemonade is going to be their Instagram. I don't know. We'll see. If I had to put my money in one place, I would say Lemonade over Clapper. Uh, but that also is different than what I would have told you three weeks ago when I first got started. Um, and uh, we'll see. I, I don't think either one are necessarily like guaranteed the next big thing. They're the next TikTok, the next Instagram, but they both have some potential there. Yeah, great summary. Um, Lemonade for me is definitely um, a better app and very aesthetic. It's just, mm. yeah, Jesus, like it's... it's <laughs> It, you yeah. know, it, it serves a purpose right now. It'll change. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be the fashion aesthetic app. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Clapper, I don't know if it's my phone, but the vid, it's like the poor man's version of TikTok because all the videos are like The videos, yes. Yes, they're low quality. I'm glad you're saying that because I haven't talked to anyone else about it. Terrible. But yes, same. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, I feel like I'm watching 
videos that were like six years old. Like they're grainy and pixelated. Yes. Like it's weird. Yeah. Like watching VHS, but well, like watching it on like <laughs> 120p. It doesn't exist mm -hmm. anymore. I, and I don't understand this because it's 2023. Yeah. They're copying TikTok. They've been around right. for a year or something I saw. And I just, so I'm deleting that shit because the videos are <laughs> nice. Um, and there's just some weird content on there. Maybe, yeah, 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 I agree. Like it's, um, and yeah, it is literally a carbon copy. They are, I think they've copied the, the exact logo, like um, outlines of logo. I'm just like, you know what? I think what they're doing yeah. is basically praying the Instagram, um, the TikTok yeah. gets banned and everyone's 100%. like, oh, clap up. Um, 100%. But yeah, the quality is atrocious. So um, yeah, that's yeah. a... It's a good good way to summarize it. So my my last question is something you mentioned earlier, which and you've spoken about and it hasn't come to the UK yet. I don't know if it's mm -hmm. in the US, but it's the Meta or Meta, as you say in America, mm -hmm. um, verified by your blue tick thing. So yeah, tell us what that is and how you think it could change things. Yeah, so MetaVerified just rolled out in the U.S. a couple weeks ago. It originally launched in Australia and New Zealand, and it's essentially a monthly subscription service from Instagram where you can pay a monthly fee, which is it varies depending on where you are. It's $15 here in the U.S., um, and for that monthly fee, you get a series of features. So you get, first and foremost, the blue check. Most people who don't have an understanding of what this is think that's the only feature. And if that was the only feature, wouldn't really be worth it. It, it. Like it might be worth it for the clout or the the social currency that comes with having that blue badge, um, but wouldn't necessarily be worth it. But they've also added some other features um, such as increased account security against hackers and fraud, um, increased impersonation protection against people who are creating copycat accounts, trying to fake being you, um, which is really big in some niches. Um, and then the fourth, fourth thing, and this, in my opinion, is worth the monthly fee in and of itself, uh, which is a direct line of communication between yourself and Instagram. So you're actually going to have a chat window on your Instagram profile where you, you can directly contact meta staff and ask them questions, get feedback, things like that. And so that's worth the, the monthly fee in and of itself. Of course, I wish customer service was free, but at the end of the day, Instagram, like we've said a few times, is a technically free platform. And so if they were to offer free customer service to all one or two billion users, I mean, I couldn't even imagine what those phone lines would look like, not to mention having to pay all of those customer service representatives. Gosh, that'd be insane. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I think it's worth it. Um, I, I've chosen to invest in it myself. I will say I already had the blue check. Yeah. I've had it since 2020. Um, and so I chose, I didn't have to, but I chose to uh, pay the monthly subscription because I want the increased protection and I want the ability to send a message to Instagram staff. I think that's very valuable. Um, there have been some super scary, unfortunate glitches. Uh, one of them that I think is resolved now, but it was going on for a few days was for some people, when they applied, uh, one of the things you have to do is you have to upload a government ID. Um, and so basically, Instagram wants to verify that you are you, that you are a real person, so they need a government ID to do so. Uh, quick side note, if you're someone who has a dog Instagram or a podcast Instagram or an uh, 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 Instagram account for your business, those can't be verified. Only individual humans can be verified because only individual humans have IDs. But anyways, people were uploading their ID 
and there was a glitch making their profile picture their photo of their government ID. And this, oh my gosh, like when I first saw this, someone messaged me about it and I was like, I, my first thought was like, okay, this lady made a mistake. Like that sucks for her, but this was probably her user error. And then I got more and more and more. And then I made a post about it, kind of letting people know like, hey, if you're thinking about doing this and you don't want people to have your ID, which I don't think anyone wants a photo of their ID with their you know home address and their height and weight and all those things um, out in the public, then just be careful. Maybe wait a few days if you're thinking about applying right now. And then I got a bunch of comments from people who were like, yeah, it happened to me. It happened to me. I was applying. So I think that's resolved now. Um, but I also understand why people might be a little bit more hesitant because of that. And people were already hesitant because they were like, why do I want to give Instagram a photo of my government ID? Um, ultimately, I think it's worth it. I think it's something to invest in. Um, I'm going to make it a, a tax write-off for myself anyways. Um, but that, that's my two cents and that's my personal stance on it. Yeah, to be fair, I, I would, I'm getting it the second it comes here. There's, yeah. you know, what you said about the copycats, it happens so much in like my property niche because, you know, we, we get loans from people, we get money for various things. And so, mm-hmm. and I've had cases of people giving, not not for my fakes, but other people's fakes, giving thousands of pounds. Yeah. And I- there's not just the you know the person who gave the money is also to blame but you know like to have this protection and yeah. listen i would pay it just for the blue tick yeah so like yeah. i'm i'm already sold um so i'm looking forward to that and having um like you know a direct line to instagram so it'll probably be 10 quid a month here that's nothing like yeah i think in the grand scheme of things it, it's nothing so yeah you know when it comes to the uk um yeah your boy will have a will have a blue tick so you know you I'll, I'll get into nightclubs for free i'll you know, get into benefits <laughs> like flash the instagram yeah yeah i'll be like yeah guys i had it before i've had it for like seven <laughs> years you know like just i know there are, there are, there are some people who are in my category who have had the blue tick and they they want it to be like a different color or they want it to be like and technically there is a way if you click on the person's profile and then you click on the blue tick it will tell you when they were verified and so you could say like oh if it was before March 2023, they were an OG verified, you know, whatever. But that's that's getting a little pretentious. Yeah. But yeah, no, absolutely. You could use it to, you know, get into clubs and get through the TSA pre-check yeah. line at the airport. Yeah. But like, yeah, pre-March, baby, pre-March. Let me <laughs> um yeah. well, thank you so much. Um, this has been super, super useful for me. Um, and I know it'll be so useful for my listeners. And I really hope, and I know that it, it will have convinced a lot more of them to take action hearing your growth, seeing the results that can come from it. And obviously they'll go on your, your profile, they'll check all your social media out and they'll see the results that come from that consistency. And, you know, there's so much to learn from your content in itself, as in that's a really cool way of doing that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> but also in the content you produce in kind of what you're saying. So super, super useful. And I think you've communicated it really, really clearly, um, which is good for people listening because it's very easy to get caught up in should I do this? Should I do that? Reach engagement. What's this? What's that? And I think you've clarified some things and hopefully calmed people, you know, and got them just into doing social media and building their brands. So all your details will be in the show notes so people can click and follow everything you do, your links, your website, everything will be there. So, um, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you for having me. This has been so much fun and you were a great host. So very, very gracious. And I appreciate you. And for anyone listening, uh, just rip off that bandaid, get started. And uh, thank you for listening.